Amen. So what I want to talk about today is the vital, like I named it the vital ingredient to loving one another. We've been speaking over the last weeks about loving one another. But it's a bit like baking a cake. If you leave out a vital ingredient, the cake turns out to be rather flat. Don't put baking powder in it, I found out. You end up with a flat cake. It might have the eggs in it, might have the raisins in it, it might have whatever else you decided to put in it, but you leave out the baking powder and it's flat. And they look at the cake and says it doesn't taste very good and they put it aside. And so there is a vital ingredient, but I just want to get there. I want to use our text, main text this morning. Uh, 1 John 4, 8 to 10. So I'll just read it through first and we'll pull it apart a bit. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how the love of God was made manifest amongst us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. She starts off there, God is love. That's not, that's not a characteristic of God. Like I could say, Rupert is tall. That's a characteristic of Rupert, but it's not the substance of Rupert. Somebody's short, but it doesn't really mean anything. Well, it does, they're tall and short, but that's all it means. It's not their characteristic, it's not their essence. But when it says God is love, that's the essence of God, it's the substance of God. He's love. And all love originates from God. That's why it says there, anyone who does not love does not know God. See, so you have to know God to love because the love has to come from God because God is love. It originates from God. You see, it's, it's a bit like God is also light. It says that in 1 John 1, 5. God is light and there's no darkness in him. In the beginning, when God looked upon the darkness and he said, let there be light, he was not creating light. He was taking his light and he let that infuse the darkness. And so darkness fled and so he gave light to the world. And the light that we have in this world comes from God. It wasn't created by God for this world. It came from him. He is light. He was never, in, never, there's no beginning and no end. He always was light. It's not by chance that most things live by light. They need light to live because it's the life of God coming to us. Sure, it comes to us through the sun. I go out and I stand in the sun rather than in here and you feel the warmth, but it brings light, life to us. Shut me up in a dark room for years and years and I'll die. And if I was a plant, I'd die sooner. I'm thankful I'm not a plant. And so the same as God is light, God is love. And the love that we see in this world is God's love. It's an essence of God. He says, um, we see him partially. And we see God partially now. We don't see him fully. Paul was speaking in Corinthians and he said, we see him partially, 
But when he comes, we'll see him fully. But the things that we have of him now that we see partially, he says you have faith, hope, and love. That's what abides. And the greatest of these, he says, is love. So God wants us to have faith. In fact, he requires us to have faith. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. Impossible. So, so faith is, a, is an attribute and, he's, and, and very important for us to have. We don't manufacture faith. You can't manufacture faith. You can't go to bed at night and say, Lord, I want more faith and wake up and, 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 and create faith yourself. See, faith comes from God. It says Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. When it says he's the author, it means that he is the originator. It comes from him. He doesn't find it somewhere over there and said, I'll grab that faith and I'll give it to this person over here. Doesn't work like that. It actually comes from God Himself. So any faith you have came from God. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the finisher because any faith you have that grows in you grows because of the hand of God upon you and only because of the hand of God upon you. You can't manufacture it yourself. Oh, I got a basket full of faith and I've now worked on that and I've studied my Bible and I've done this and that and now my, I've grown my faith now to be a truck full. Doesn't work like that. Your faith grows, but it grows because of the hand of God upon you because he's the author and finisher of your faith. It's a bit of a side issue there, but it's the truth. He tells us also how our faith grows. He says our faith grows by hearing, not with our ears here, but our ears of our heart, we hear the truths of God. We hear the word of God in our heart, which is the truth of God. And as we hear that truth, our heart gets changed and faith grows within us. Hallelujah. So faith's one. The other one was hope. He said, hope abides with us. And Paul encourages us through his writings. He's speaking to the Corinthians. He speaks to the Philippians. He speaks to the others through his writings. And he's saying, continue, stand fast, stand, stand, stand steadfast and firm with the hope of the gospel in you right until the end. Don't let that hope diminish, but hold strong to the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he says, the hope is in the gospel, the hope that Jesus will return, the hope that we know he's already come because he's been testified, but the hope that he returns in his fullness. Stand firm and wait for that and let that hope not diminish. And it's important we don't, that we hold on to that hope because if you lose that hope, you lose your life and you lose your way. But the greatest of these, he said, of faith Hope and love is love. It's greater than the other two that I just mentioned. Why? Because God wants to show himself to the world through his love. Not through your faith, not through your hope, although there'll be a glimmer of God of that to the world, but he's wanting to show himself through your love. That's really his love because it came from him. But the love that you have is what the world will see and they will see. See, dimly, partially we see God. And we who are saved partially see him. But we'll see him fully 
when he returns. But the world does not see him. Their eyes are blinded. They don't see him. But the word says, the word says in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that if you love one another in the same manner, manner as I have loved you, you also are to love, love one another. By this all men shall know that you are my disciples. They'll know we're his disciples. They'll know God and they'll start to see God because of our love. And without our love, they will not see God. God will show himself through his love. He did that right at the beginning. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. But he revealed himself through Jesus because Jesus went around saying, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And it was by love, the love of God, that Christ came. And it's by the love of God that the church is to love. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But the first is what? Love. It was written in that order because love has preeminence. So the fruit of the Spirit, sure, is gentleness, but it's not by gentleness that the world will know God. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness, but it's not by kindness that the world will know God. It's not by goodness or faithfulness that the world will know God, but it's by their love one for another that they will know that you are my disciples. Yeah. By your love, they will, they will be revealed to them they, they, they have something that I don't have. They're touching something I don't know about. And the eyes will be opened. The eyes of their heart will be opened and they will see. And then they too can come unto God and confess and repent and receive. And so that was the God is love. I oh, yeah. And this is how the God of love, how the love of God was made manifest. And to made manifest, say, is to be revealed. And I touched on that already. The love of God was revealed to us or made reality or made tangible. That's when something's, that's when something's made manifest. When, it's, when it becomes tangible to us. Until then, it's out there. It's an idea. It's a theology. It's, something, it's, a, it's a good thought. But then it becomes reality, it becomes tangible. And the love of God became tangible, even though he loved us right back from the beginning. He loved you and knew you and loved you before you were formed in your mother's womb, the Bible tells us. But when you're born, you don't know that. You know, how do we know that he loves us? And it was made manifest by him sending his only son into the world. The coming of Christ showed and demonstrated and made reality the love of God. 
And so God sent his son. And this, I'm jumping ahead. I'm going to go back to the, my next scripture there, the Philippians, sorry. So Christ came, Christ came in the flesh, and he came amongst us in the flesh. He, he, he was only manifest because he came in the flesh. If he had stayed as the son of God as he was before the cross, he wouldn't have been manifest as such. He might have appeared in the form of an angel and stayed in spirit form, but it became manifest and was able to, and men were able to testify about him because he walked on earth amongst us. And this is how he came. Though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation and took on the form of a servant and became in the form of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And I want to read that scripture because there's two huge points in that. The first is humility. He left his estate as a form of God. Now, he still came as 100% God, but he took on the form of man and made himself of no reputation. He did not come as a billionaire who've got reputations. He did not come as a famous All Black. Well, it was before the time of the All Blacks, but whatever they played in Israel at that, that, those days. But he didn't come as a champion warrior, and they did have champion warriors. And he didn't come as a prime minister or a king, although he was and is a king. But he was a king in the heavenly realm, not on the earth. In the earth when he walked, he was a nobody. What good can come out of Bethlehem? It's a bit like being born in Talmarnui. Anybody from Talmarnui here? My pardons. But it's the back and beyond. Bethlehem, no good comes out of Bethlehem. No reputation. But you see, with great humility, he served and he came as a servant. You know, we used to sing that song, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Good song to sing because it's such a truth. You sing it and you're singing a truth. But to be great in the kingdom of God, you cannot be great unless you become a servant. You must be a servant to be great in God's kingdom. Pride does not cut it. Rulership does not cut it in God's kingdom. Sure, he makes you a king, and sure, he gives you authority, but the heart that he's looking for is one that is humble and one that is serving. And he sent his only son. And that little word sent, we don't understand it. I don't understand it. I think we dimly understand it. He says, it's easy. He didn't send them and says, Jesus, go. See, he was full of love for us and full of anguish for our condition. But more importantly, oh, to separate himself from Jesus and send Jesus to die for us, that was huge. That was huge. 
I was talking to somebody this morning and they said they, that their child took the child to hospital and they had to leave their child with doctors because the doctor did the surgery. So they had to sit, wait outside the room. And he said, whoa, it's a big thing to hand over my child to five strangers who are going to do something to my child. And when we're separated from our children, there's probably anybody here who's lost a child would know what it's like. You'd give your arm back for that child. You say, cut off my both legs and have my child back. I'll do that. Easily we would do that because there's an anguish within us from our heart in, and it's anguish born out of love from heart to heart. And so when Jesus, when God sent Jesus, God the Father sent Jesus, there was an anguish in that, an anguish we will not understand. He was sending him to die, to take on the form of man and to die and to take on the sin of the world and to have separation between him and his son. We marvel when we read about Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain to slay him. And I, I, I don't understand it. Don't understand how he could do it, but he had a faith in God and there's a good story in that. But to understand it from our, our perspective, so difficult. And the same with God, Jesus, he, God, he sent his son. And it was enormous. I used to be sent to my... I used to be sent to my uncle's farm for holidays. I used to love going. So it was quite deliberate from my parents. They had to arrange for the travel and buy a bus ticket or arrange for somebody to pick me up and take me over there. It was very deliberate, but it was very easy because I liked it there and I wasn't dying and they trusted my uncle to look after me. But you see, there's a story in the Bible of Jacob and Joseph. You probably heard the story Joseph went down to Egypt Joseph was sold by his brothers and he ended up in Egypt. And he goes through seven years of famine and seven years or seven years of riches and then seven years of famine. And he becomes right at the beginning of that prime minister of, the, of Egypt. And the other ten brothers go down and they leave their father and they leave Benjamin behind. And they go down and Joseph doesn't declare who he is, but he gives them food and he says, you go back. Have you got, a, have you got another, any more brothers? And I said, well, yes, we've got a brother at home and a father at home. He said, you go back and get your brother to come down. Now, Joseph and the brother who was left behind was Benjamin. And they were the sons of Rachel. And they were the ones that Rachel was the wife that Jacob loved. He had, he had other, other sons from Leah and other sons from the from his concubines, their hand, handmaidens. But the two sons he loved was Joseph and Benjamin. And he already thought he'd lost Joseph, coat of many colours that was brought to him with blood on it. He thought he was dead. So he was holding Benjamin close. He said, listen, if you want more food, you've got to go back. And this time when you come back for food, you've got to bring Benjamin. So they went back and told this to Jacob. He said, listen, we can go and get more food from Egypt to last us through this famine, but we've got to take Benjamin back. He says, no, you're not taking Benjamin. You're not taking my son. He says, if you take him and something happens to him, I will die. He says it in different language, but that's what he's saying. He says, my hair will turn gray and I will go to my grave. Because his love for Benjamin was close and he wanted to keep him close. He wanted Benjamin. Now, that's the same, it's a, that's a shadow of the Father's love for Jesus. A shadow of Father's love for Jesus. He did not want him to come, in a sense. He did, and he sent him. 
Oh, but the anguish in his heart that he was sending his son to, to die for you and me. And that's why Jesus cried on the cross, Oh, Father, why have you forsaken me? There's a separation that occurred when he took on the sin of the world. And it wasn't easy. They weren't both sitting back, well, this is an easy thing to do. Jesus, you just go down there, spend a bit of time with them, die on the cross, I'll raise you from the dead, you'll come back to me and we'll fix this little problem. It wasn't like that at all. There was an anguish. And the anguish of our heart is always greater than the anguish of our soul. You know, we can pierce ourselves, we can cut ourselves, oh, terrible injury, limp along, but it's nothing. Then you know the anguish that you'll have for somebody you love when relationships broken or cut off. And you only have to ask anybody who's lost a loved one and they'll tell you. It's greater. The anguish of your heart is always greater, much greater. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says he was praying unto God the Father and Jesus was not concerned about the death, the physical death on the cross. There's been plenty of people who have died a lot of other people before Jesus had died on the cross and people after him who'd had their hands and feet nailed to the cross and there was two with him that day. You see, it wasn't so much the death on the cross. It wasn't the cross as the way it means of death that was the issue. It was that he was going to go and be separated from his father and he was going to have to take on the sin of the world. And so he's going to have to alter his state of being sinless to now wearing the, wearing the sin of all mankind, of you and me. And he was looking forward to that and he was praying and talking to his father about this. And he says, oh, Lord, let this cup pass from me if possible, but nevertheless thy will. But I'll, I'll obey your will and do this, but I don't want to be separated from you. But because of our love for mankind, I will. And so it says he went joyfully to the cross for that which he was going to accomplish. Oh, but in great anguish, anguish was his relationship with the Father that was to be broken. It was huge. All in that one word, God sent his son. And Jesus in that night he prayed and they, and they talked and it said he sweated as if it were drops of blood. Now, there weren't blood coming out of pores, but he sweated as if it was because he was in such anguish about what was to come. And what was to come, he wasn't worried about a physical cross. What was to come was the separation from God and the taking on of the sin. All he did that, he did all of that. So that we might live through him. So that we might not be dead unto God, but alive unto God. See, we don't live by him. Or we don't live because of him. But we live through him. That we might live through him. And that's the whole message, point of my message this morning. Is unless we are living through Christ, unless we are in Christ, he in me and me in him, the whole point of loving one another disappears. 
Because the only love that you will receive from me is that which I've received from the Father because I'm in him. And Christ in me. And he gives me some love that I then give out to others and they might have life. But without it coming from God and without it, me being in God, all you'll receive is the earthly love of Dan Ogle, which cannot save and cannot give you life. It'll be from a dead man to a dead man. Well, in my case, then dead man maybe to a live person, but it won't feed you one little bit. It won't help you one little bit. But if I've spent time with Christ through him, because of him and only because of him I can love. And you too can have life. And you can go walk away from my presence and say, I felt refreshed. Something in me changed. Physically, you're just the same. But inside you go, ah, oh, I received something. And you'll know what it is, the love of the Father. And so my encouragement to us this morning is, Find God and immerse yourself in him. Be intimate with him so that you may live through him. See, Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he's not talking to non-Christians. He's talking to Christians. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens his heart and lets me come in, I'll come in and abide with him and sup with him. Jesus is not saying, Go and love others. And I know it's said as a commandment. First commandment is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And the second is like all the rest is summed up to love thy neighbor as thyself. But God doesn't give it to us as a command. It's a bit like saying, go have faith. He says, listen, you get faith from me. I'm the author and finisher. Come to me and I'll give you faith. You must have faith. It's impossible to please me without faith. But you get it from me. Go and love others, yes, but where do you get it from? God. You get it by sitting at his feet. You get it by opening your heart and letting him come in and sup with you. See, he's at the door all the time. Behold, listen to this carefully, he says. I stand at the door of your heart and knock every minute of the day. And if you're busy watching the All Blacks and yelling because Brody Retallick has run over somebody and stomped on their head, that's fine. But understand, I'm still standing here knocking, wanting to come in and sup with you. And I'm wanting you to turn your heart from your worldly pursuits and to hear me. And as you hear me and immerse yourself with me, I'll fill you with love that you can love others. But until that point comes, until you open your heart and let Christ in, and we all have if we're saved here this morning, but there's a second step and third step and fourth step. It's a daily step of opening our heart and supping with him and abiding with him. It's different when you have a meal. Last week we had a meal with my family. Now I've got family, sisters in Auckland. And you can say, oh, you got family, Dan? I say, yes, i got family. They live up there or they live over there and they've got their husbands and wives and children. But we had a meal together. And it's a difference of abiding when you have a meal together than me standing here saying, oh, they live up somewhere and they're living their life. It's different. We abided together. We shared together. And that's what God wants to do with us daily. Immerse ourselves in him. Be intimate with him. And my challenge to you this morning is, are you intimate with God? Really intimate. Like daily intimate. Are you intimate enough so you're actually saying, 
God, I, I want to get rid of you for a little while. I want to be by myself. You do that with sometimes the people around close to you. I know, I know sometimes Pam does it with me. Get him out of my hair. Get him out of my hair for a while. <laughs> and sometimes the way you see how I behave, you can understand why she says that. Amazing, she puts up with me all the time, anytime. But that's okay. How are you desiring and being intimate with God daily? Because unless you are, you cannot fulfill the command, go love others. You can try. You can make nice cakes and take them around to people. You can go and help them shift flats. You can go and do all those things. But unless it's coming from the heart of God, it means nothing. But you spend time with God and you spend time with him daily and you let him sup and abide and you abide in him and through him, then when you do those things, life will flow forth and love will flow forth and people will know, ah, that's God. That's God. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, I might have it here, I might not. No, it's another one. If my, hum, if my people who are called by my name, he's talking to the Jewish nation here, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. God says, I will hear and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. And that was speaking to the nation of Israel. But you know that a promise applies to us, except it's not heal our land in a sense of giving us a land because we don't have a land. We're sojourners in this world. Our land is in heaven. Our promise is in heaven. But he says, and I'm reading that for us now, if my people who will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, you will see the kingdom of God around you and before you and after you, and you will walk as a priest and king in this kingdom, dispensing life to others. That's what he'll do for us. He's not promising you a plot of land. But he's promising you that you will walk as a son and daughter of the living God, dishing out love. And by that, people will know that you're his disciples. But you know, there's four things in there if they will humble themselves. And the thing that each one of us, and I can say that confidently looking at you all, even looking into my own heart, oh, we are, like the Israelites, we can be a stiff-necked people. They were super stiff-necked because they thought they were privileged because they were the, they were the chosen ones of God. But they were so stiff-necked they missed the promise. Don't let us be stiff-necked. I'm a Christian. And we missed the promise. The scripture in Matthew 21, this was given to me, this scripture here was given to me, oh, I don't know, 30 something years ago. And I've never heard it preached on. But Jesus said unto them, He's talking to the Pharisees here, or the elders actually. He's talking to the elders and the, and the, and the high priests of Israel. And he's quoting Psalm 118, verse 22. And Jesus said unto them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and marvelous in our eyes. 
Now that's written way back in Psalms, but it's referring to Jesus Christ, whom they rejected. Or going to reject. He's still he's in Matthew there, he's alive there, but he's talking, he's talking about that going to reject them. And he's he's contending with them. He's showing them that the scripture was pointing to him. And then he goes on in verse 44 says, and the one who falls upon this stone will be broken to pieces. And when the stone falls on anyone, it will crush them. You see, we need to fall upon Jesus Christ and be broken to pieces. I need to be broken of that strong man, Dan Ogle, that is inside me. And I need to be broken before him so that I'm humble, that I come to an understanding that everything I have is from God. Everything that I breathe because of God is watching over me. I stand here today because God has chosen to let, let me live yet another day. And he has an appointed time and it will be cut off, which he knows and I don't. Oh, but that I would live tomorrow but by the will of God and the day after but by the will of God. And if I've come to the place of truly falling upon him and knowing that it is he that sustains me and he that provides me for me and he that cares for me and he that looks after me, that my very being and even able to stand here and speak to you is because of him and him only. When that starts to come a reality in my life, I start to be broken and then God can pour in because he can't pour in and won't pour into a stiff-necked people, but he'll pour into a broken heart that will then share love unto others. That's our God. First, give yourself to Jesus. Fall upon him and be humbled. You see, in the last days, it says on just a bit after that in Matthew, it says, iniquity will abound and the love of many will grow cold. Love to whom? Of what? It's the love of God in many will grow cold. As iniquity abounds, the love that people have towards God will grow cold. And if their love towards God grows cold, their love to one another will also be cold. So the encouragement to us is to be intimate with God. The encouragement to overcome that and walk through the times of iniquity, which we are certainly in, is to be intimate with God, to immerse yourself in Him, to read His Word, to pray, to let Him speak to you, to open your heart and let Him come in and abide with you daily so that our hearts might grow warm towards him and that our hearts and love might flow through us. And that's my message. The key ingredient is to immerse yourself in God. You'll be a flat cake like the baking powder without the immersion and intimacy with God. You will be. You'll have, you'll have right ingredients. You go to church regularly or now and then every Sunday. You're paying some money to them now and then and when they ask for it. Yeah, being kind to people now and then. You know, I'm doing my bit. I'm, I'm a good upstanding fellow. But unless you're intimate with God, your cake will be flat, non-risen, just worth to be chucked out. But you mess yourself with God, oh, and it'll be a cake that will feed thousands. That's one of the cakes that Christ could take 
and break it apart and give it out and after everybody's fed of it, there'll be five basketfuls left because God would multiply through you. So my challenge this morning is consider where you're at and determine in your heart, do I change? Will I change? Because there's none here, and I can say none, who in our hearts wouldn't cry out, yes, I need and can be more intimate with God. 